Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain. Each episode, we bring together leaders across the supply chain space to discuss the role of technology and business model innovation on the future of supply chain. The Future of Supply Chain podcast is presented by Dynamo. Dynamo is a pre-seed and seed stage supply chain investor. To learn more about Dynamo and this show, head over to www.dynamo.vc slash podcasts or subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar. And today we have a special episode. John Bradford, my partner, is back with me. Welcome back, John. Welcome. Yeah, it's good to be back. So we have some exciting news to share with the world today. We are officially announcing the raise of our second fund that has closed at $43.21 million. So you we'll smile every time you say that. Pause here so people can also appreciate the humor of that. Yeah. But you know, it, it was it was our fund that we raised through COVID. So I, I think as a as a firm, we certainly learned a lot in terms of being a, a VC, but equally I think as one of the firms, if not the firm that was out early in specializing in the sector, we only kind of gained importance as you think about the headlines over the last year, right? Across the the areas that we consider to be in scope. So what's interesting is I would probably say the backstory is prior to kind of the pandemic that we've kind of all been through over the last 15 months, we wouldn't wish on anybody. Clearly there was a real challenge around. So supply chain, is this a thing? Is this, is this a big market? Was is was a lot of the discussions that we had during our LP discussions and conversations, as we came out the other side and started closing out the last part of the fund. Clearly, those discussions became but a very small part uh, of the conversation. Having everybody been through conversations about vaccine supply chain and, as I described, Suez Canal problems, sh- mm-hmm. ships and container ships trying to do, as I described, handbrake turns in the Suez Canal, and and even front page headlines now about containers being in the wrong place, yeah, uh, is is kind of, unfortunately for us, fallen in our lap and, and has made our job in terms of persuading LPs much, much simpler. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it certainly was to our benefit that you had folks across the ecosystem that had to go to three different grocery stores to get toilet paper or milk because of the scramble when the pandemic set in. So kind of, I think now everybody realizes the supply chain touches them every day. And when it works really well, they don't notice. When it doesn't work well is when they notice. But kind of with that, you know, as we think about the next year and a half, two years ahead of us with the second fund, and where we like to invest, right? Like walking through the five areas. And if listeners go to our website, the About Us section, they can really kind of see what we invest in, how we make decisions. And equally, uh, the last part of that trilogy is how we support companies. But going back to that first piece is what do we like, right? What do we think about? What do we care about? What's in scope? And the, the first area we affectionately dubbed like factories, farms, facilities, right? Everything that's the furthest upstream. And really here, like the things we're thinking about are procurement, 
understanding your suppliers. How are you being supplied as an entity? Who do you do business with? How are you managing the risks around that? And I think out of fund too, our most notable investment to date is Backbone AI. So Rob and the team up in New York really focused on intercompany data automation. So if you're an organization, how are you automating the data flows from your suppliers? And if you think about a company, like you have thousands of suppliers and we've sat in a room together, John, where some of the largest retailers in the world have told us instead of consolidating suppliers through COVID, there's now a multiplicity of suppliers and they expect it to stay that way because they believe that makes them more resilient. But then naturally we step into the next And you have this this underlying problem, which is clearly everybody has optimized their supply chains over the last 10, 15, 20 years. However, what you have on the other side of that was historically supply chains were more often than not owned by a single organization. P&G would would own not just the, the last piece of the pie, but they would be running the factories they probably have their own logistics capability as well. Clearly, that has now kind of been broken down into its various segmentations and pieces. And so yeah. you wouldn't ever now find P&G necessarily doing their own manufacturing. They'll outsource parts of that piece. But that brings with it a whole bunch of other problems with it, which has become apparent when everybody picks up the phone and says, I need some more toilet roll, and they realize there's one toilet roll manufacturer in Belgium and everybody's getting their toilet roll from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not necessarily true, but, but the concentration. And so trying to understand visibility across not just your first degree supplier, but multiple different layers within the, the supply chain are becoming increasingly important. And, you know, kind of before we move on here, like that's where I think we've spent the last 18 months, even two years, maybe even a little prior to COVID, just thinking about supplier risk management and and what are the opportunities there as it's relevant to this kind of section of of supply chain. So certainly founders who are thinking about that building there, we'd love to chat with you. But then naturally, right, as you leave the factory floor on the way to your front door, you enter the realm of international logistics that's centered around ships and planes, right? Crossing borders, you use a, a ship or you use a plane. And that's where I think interesting to come into this year. There's just a lot of turmoil when you think about ports, right? I, I think you, John, said like there's containers just where they shouldn't be. It's not that you don't have enough containers. There's not where you want them to be. And to that, and to that point, we, we've had the good fortune during the last year to make an investment in a vision called Vision AI, sorry, Vision API, who essentially are all about uh, creating visibility and transparency around container level data. So as they would describe, where the hell is my container? I'm being able to describe that. Both, both being a statement about the goods that necessarily might exist inside that container, but is becoming more apparent is there's increasing amounts of containers which are going back empty from the US into Southeast Asia and, and kind of helps to demonstrate almost the mismatch of the, the supply uh, of goods both to and from the US to, to other geographic markets. Yeah. And you know, it, it sounds silly, but to answer the simple question, where is my container until recently is really hard to answer 
and and accurately at that and and that's what the the vision guys are are going after but again thinking about the future where vcs were supposed to be thinking about the future is like what else is left here like in the last inning of supply chain innovation you had flexport and i think like we've really thought through that heavily and we've gone through the stack so vision's a good example of going through the stack around international logistics operations and finding big opportunities but then also similar to banks and 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 I'll credit John with this analogy comparing supply chain to financial services like no one bank owns the world like you have certain banks that own certain key international corridors and in a similar way we think about trade lanes and what does the forwarder of the future look like you'll see forwarders owning certain key trade lanes yeah i and, and expanding upon that clearly if you look at something uh, called TransferWise, which is now dubbed as WISE, essentially what's interesting is they were money uh, remittance across international boundaries. What they did was they picked certain lanes initially, trying to double down on those, built out their technology capability, and then added additional nodes to the broader system. We believe that free forwarding international trade will go through a similar process, which is somebody who turns up and says, yeah, we're going to do everything, is sort of lying to themselves. You need to kind of build out that lane or capability because because it's not just the physical logistics itself, but it's the inherent complexity around the, the, the customs elements when you suddenly move from across those borders themselves. And then you have, in another vertical, the complexity of the different goods across different customs places across different locations. And so suddenly what you think is even just a single trade lane, IT has inherently a lot of complexity around it. And we're talking about massive sums of money. We're talking about trillions of dollars of trade. And so we expect there to be increasing levels of lane capability or speciality for freight forwarding between particular jurisdictions yeah. naturally over time. And to the point about Flexport, which has been amazing in what it's done, is the reality is there's going to be more Flexports in the world. Yeah. And and even coming back to the bank analogy, there's not going to be one. There's going to be a multiplicity of them. But you probably don't want to be in one of the legacy businesses. You probably want to be in one of the new digitally uh, driven freight forwarders. Yeah. And I'll kind of wrap it up with like, there might be critics who say, oh, that doesn't make sense. That's not venture scale. Well, it is going to be venture scale. One, because of the the sheer value of goods. I think business models are also evolving there. We've seen certain business models that take a haircut on the fee to make money elsewhere in ancillary services uh, like credit. And then equally, like if you think about this is a industry centered around customer service. So Technology in turn drives customer service, right? Better visibility, more capabilities around ease of process and booking a shipment, following the shipment. But I think the third opportunity here that we've spent quite a bit of time on, we have yet to invest in a company, is around trade credit, right? So kind of as a firm, when we think about supply chain, you'll have freight moving in a direction and the natural second flow of supply chain is capital, right? So I get a box, 
but I've paid somebody for the contents in that box and also for the movement of that box at the end of the day, shipping charges. And and more so, this becomes increasingly pertinent when you're talking about things which are moving by containers. And this is kind of one interesting dynamic, which is containers tend to go on ships and ships take a little bit more time than a plane. And so as you move goods through containers, trade credit and trade finance become increasingly more important, which kind of then leans you into another kind of slightly different unusual. So trade, trade finance is super, super interesting to us. But again, there is complexity around different lanes will have different elements which are associated to them. However, then you kind of have a bunch of people saying, no, but I'm going to fly by plane. But the, the other complexity around that is in a world where ESG and sustainability is becoming increasingly more important is should you be putting things on planes? If you do put a stuff on planes, which planes should you put them on? How do you improve the both the unit economics for airlines who have taken an absolute pounding over the last 18 months, but also how do you... If, as Santosh talks about it, fill the belly of the plane to improve the underlying utilization of any given aircraft and to potentially, even if you have to use that mode of transportation, is to actually try to reduce the carbon footprint, which would be associated therewith. Yeah. And kind of that's a, a really nice segue into the next part of the supply chain that we view as in scope and industry folk will call the surface transportation. We call it trucks and trains, right? And sustainability, it's kind of a no-brainer when you have things driving around your, your highway where you want to think about their carbon uh, emissions and their total footprint. But equally, I think we can think about the trade credit opportunity, but shifting to the world of trucking, right? You have long tail of truckers. They tend to be very cash flow stressed. Oftentimes, you'll see a trucker having to front about two-thirds of their expenses, but they might not get paid by the shipper ultimately for 45 days after they've delivered the, the goods. So you see this gap that's quite meaningful. That, that's an interesting opportunity for us. But equally, John, like we've seen a lot of capital flow into the space as well across different business models. And while we're known for our early investment in Fund One and Sender, Recently, earlier in the year, we closed an investment in Amitruck in Africa that's digitizing freight brokerage as well. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because the markets are different, but a lot of the problems are similar. But even what Amitruck are doing is it's actually a different model, again, from what Sender has done with themselves. So uh, one has to be mindful of uh, not necessarily being particularly vanilla about picking up a business model and saying, let's just apply it to a new geography. The, the problems are similar. There are similarities. It's probably the best way to describe it around some of the way it's delivered, but there will be differences at a, at a much more granular level at a geography level. Yeah. And kind of the, 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 the only thing I would say is really similar when you think about brokerage and even forwarding in, in the prior segment is when you think about the role of technology, it's really ultimately at the end of the day, it's leverage, right? You can push more revenue and margin through the system with relatively fewer brokers. And to your point, the way you do that in the US is very different than Europe, which is very different than Africa at this point as we look across our portfolio. 
and I, I think rail, like rail has been a, a big area where we've seen a lot of companies, I think first quarter and you know second quarter so far here at Dynamo, really interesting for us. Like we looked at visibility, we looked at some things around autonomy, around other systems capability, just haven't made the, the investment yet. Yeah, I think I think I would still be challenged if I'm being kind of the grumpy old man in the room, which is the not a pun intended, but the speed of real is clearly operates at a different cadence to something like the trucking industry uh, because of the heavy level of infrastructure and investment that needs to go into it. And so sometimes we kind of pull ourselves nicely up to to looking at investments in this space. And then sometimes always fall down on the, yeah, but the sales cycles in this market are just absolutely brutal. That's not to say that the opportunity doesn't exist, but trying to sometimes match up venture funding and the expectations around that market and the cash returns versus the the underlying nature of the real industry can be really challenging. It may necessarily be, the weird part is it almost needs the technology from a VC, but the patient's capital and knowledge is similar to something like private equity around it. So we're still looking. We would love to do it. There's also clearly massive differences and dynamics between the way the real market operates in the US and how the real market operates in, in Europe as well. So we hope before the end of this fund, we'll, we'll get there with something, but, and we continue to look. So then kind of, again, kind of going back to like, where's my, where's my freight? I'm usually making my way into a regional distribution center. So the fourth area that we look at is warehousing fulfillment. And kind of in this part of the world, we're thinking about, you know, e-commerce is, is top of mind, right? You saw a decade of e-commerce growth in the US in a matter of three quarters because of COVID. And all data makes us believe, makes I think the broader industry believe that that's not like a flash in the pan. This is like a secular story. So we're not investing in trends, right? These are need to be long-term sustainable things that we ultimately invest being mindful of. So e-commerce fulfillment is interesting overseas for us where e-commerce penetration is much higher. And in the UK, John, how, how much is e-com penetration right now? Yeah, we peaked it during the middle of the pandemic, just over 30%. And that was a 10% increase from about 20%, like within a matter of uh, months. It was like within 60 days, it grew from 20% to 30%. Uh, as, as is known in the UK, as UK is a kingdom of shopkeepers, as Margaret <laughs> used to describe and, and they've now all gone online, which is clearly creating interesting dynamics around, particularly in my part of the world, which is Amazon is, is even, has an even bigger footprint outside of the US than it has inside the US, which is pretty scary. And increasing levels of omni-channel uh, sales, direct consumer sales, fulfillment by Amazon is a gorilla in the background. Lots of people are trying to figure out, is there alternative models to fulfillment by Amazon to other kind of white label versions of those. There's a few of those in the UK. So there is definitely like this continues to be a real pinch point in the overall system. There's just massive levels of opportunity. 
Short term, you've kind of got more volume going through pre-existing capability, which raises real questions around personnel, safety, uh, where you have a mix of both robotics and people within a jurisdiction within a location. Yep. But then also in the medium and longer term, for some of those newer warehouse and fulfillment centers coming online, they're skipping the personnel and going straight to automation. And so there's kind of the underlying problem is how do you make those things go faster? How do you implement some of those capabilities? How do you bring them on in three, six month periods rather than these kind of taking years to, and, and clearly we have a couple of investments, uh, both SVT Robotics, which came out of one of our last investments, if not our last investment, out of Fund One, which is kind of working at a robotic application layer. And then at a lower level, we have Tangram, which is kind of more at the ROS, the robotic OS level, was is another kind of indicator towards how do you implement, how do you make these things move faster, how do you automate, how do you make automation simpler for some of these things with a lower capital investment cost in the front end. Yeah. And, you know, kind of I'll tie the ribbon on on some of those opportunities. I, I think one of the last things we've spent a lot of time on, probably late last year, is thinking about the insurance opportunity, broadly in supply chain. But the thing that we've continued to see is inventory insurance, right? When your cargo is sitting within a facility, there's a lot of efficiencies one can actually gain here. So it's visibility understanding of the nature of the cargo, what else is sitting adjacent to it, right? And in turn, like you hope to reduce your premium, but also alongside that is what's the liability insurance that you're carrying for your employees? Because while the world is going to go to a more automated future, you still have to, in the medium term, deal with people doing the things that require dexterity and context. And to keep them safe, you need to make sure that you have the right safety protocol. So say like coming back to that worker safety element as well that you had mentioned. And Amazon? Amazon's not going anywhere. Amazon is just killing it and killing everybody in the process. Yeah. And uh, I mean, and, and Amazon, it feels like every year just hires more people, right? So even kind of the, the people who are on the bleeding edge still have this reliance on people right now. And they have accident rates that do get kind of question and, and criticize, but I think that highlights the the need for investment here in, in keeping people safe, especially in these dynamic environments. The one thing I would probably, and, and for those that have listened to this before and our conversations, is I, I come from a background around financial services and fintech. The thing which is really different in supply chain, which is different from fintech, in fintech, there were a lot of neobanks which have kind of gone through a process of growing up in the public domain. And those are the ones which are making the legacy players uncomfortable. We've not had Apple other than Apple Pay, Google playing around on the edges of payments, have not gone after financial services in a major way. In supply chain, Amazon have just turned up and are, the, as I described, the trillion-dollar gorilla in the room and are making it desperately uncomfortable for the legacy players in this industry. And they're pushing everybody because essentially Amazon have gone after a full stack model from last mile to aircraft to warehouse. Everybody is under competition and everybody is under threat. 
and that is accelerating the broader opportunities. What it does drive is a lot of opportunities in how do you accelerate and upgrade your underlying legacy technology. Nobody has the time to be able to rip out old systems and put new ones in. They're going to have to augment and add more capability. So a lot of the technologies that we're looking at and have historically invested in are API driven. So kind of trying to find ways to to wrap new functionality and capability around some of this underlying technology. So that's a great segue for the the final part of the supply chain, right? As you're getting the delivery at your front door to your business, last mile. And we made a, a couple investments here. And kind of speaking of APIs, while that's still fresh, right? Like next move, Carolyn and, and team out of Philadelphia, thinking about optimizations and decision engineering, but you consume this as an API at the end of the day. And it's it's this really important glue between the warehouse and the ultimate delivery, at least in their initial kind of focal point. But then, John, over the pond there, you led the investment in MANA around food delivery. Yeah, it was one of our very first investments out of Fund 2. And let's give credit to Bobby Healy, who, who runs the business. He was incredibly insightful and forward thinking. It's got, as we regularly talk about, a lot of hair on it. It's in a regulated market. The US market looks different from the European market. But in credit to him, he embraced the challenges of the pandemic over the last year. He went out, he worked with something called HSE, which is the health service in in Ireland, to help do early deliveries around pharmacy, such things at the early moments of the pandemic. But has subsequently actually now built out a capability of actually it is currently delivering up to 100 deliveries a day in the West Coast of Ireland which if anybody's been to the West Coast of Ireland, is pretty bloody windy. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not some nice Arizona sunny state where the weather is simple and predictable, but being able to run that. And then clearly, I'm sure everybody has seen this, the massive acceleration through Instacart, GoPuff in these states, but there's a massive er- eruption of money that's flowing into grocery delivery last mile, 15 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, and every time we look at this, we smile because there's clearly a lot of money going into this, but it's all based upon human gig workers. And we fundamentally believe that that inherently is not a sustainable long-term capability, just having these gig workers doing these 15-minute processes. And 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 to, and this is not a slight on delivery, they've clearly had their challenges. And there's a number of large financial pension funds and institutions that have refused to invest in delivery in the in the UK, which is a slightly different dynamic from DoorDash in the States, yep. because of their perceived treatment of gig workers at that last mile. And so replacing those kind of last mile gig workers with drones that can do it at a fraction of the time, much more sustainable and at a fraction of the cost. Uh, is is good fortune in us. I won't say otherwise, but is is we feel it's a really nice and big bet and a massive, massive opportunity as we go through fun two. And kind of some of the the other things, right? As a result of the pandemic, e-commerce purchases increased and therefore returns increase alongside that. So we continue to 
be really interested in the reverse logistics, the return logistics opportunity here, especially North America. I feel like there's still opportunity to get into certain segments of that workflow. And then lastly, nano fulfillment. I think like John, you, you spoke to that, right? Like in, in grocery yeah. food delivery, but you're also seeing this kind of nano capability elsewhere. We, we can't be building uh, large warehouses right in the center of towns, but equally to be able to service people in, in urban areas, we're going to have to move into having much smaller warehouse capabilities in much more urban areas. And as kind of some of the high street locations kind of transition, a, a proportion of these are going to transition into coming back to the warehouse bit highly roboticized nano-fulfillment capabilities, which will have massive levels of throughput coming through them. So it might be that they get delivered first thing in the morning, and by the end of the day, they're empty, but they'll have a drop-off for much more localized delivery capability, and probably in a much more sustainable way, Yes, rather than necessarily having a a smelly van or truck kind of moving things around for that last piece of the, the journey. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. And and kind of like we step back, right? So those five areas again, from the furthest upstream, factories, facilities, farms, ships and planes, trucks and trains, warehousing fulfillment, last mile. And as we take a step back, there's also an opportunity as you think about certain verticals and just owning that entire process within certain large verticals. Yeah, totally. And we, one of our last investments, if it isn't our last investment currently, as we speak on the June 2021, was in milk logistics, mm-hmm. a massive market. Much as I have my Oatly, I mustn't admit that, stacked in my fridge, right beside it is like four bottles or four pints of milk on a daily basis to, to feed the kids. It's a massive market. And it has complexity the whole way through it. So we we completely lucked out and invested in a business called Milk Movement based in Canada, slowly taking over the world of milk logistics. Who was to think one could get so excited about the opportunity? Yeah. It has, and also because it's a perishable item and it's a natural item, there is kind of, you have to be able to manage it. You have to be able to trace it. There are food standards the whole way through the process. So it's not purely about how do we move it. There's other things that kind of build into that and all the different touch points and all the different elements that you have from the farm to the trucks, to the facilities, to the last mile. It has many, many, many touch points. So, you know, we're um, kind of into this journey in fun two here, but equally it's still early days. Right, we've made a handful of investments. We're really excited about. There's clearly ample opportunity here. So for those folks who you might have perked up when we mentioned maybe an area that you're thinking about or have started building a business in, reach out to us. John J O N at Dynamo VC, Santosh at Dynamo VC. If you can't spell that, it's on the website. It's pretty easy to find our email addresses. Yeah. The the other thing I practically add is let's be completely honest with ourselves. The really smart people are the entrepreneurs, not us. And 
there are many, many more opportunities than what we have described today on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And there are more imaginative entrepreneurs I've been good fortune to invest in over the last 10, 15 years who come to me with, have you thought about this? And you sit there and you look blankly at them and go, well, that's obvious. Why didn't I think of that? So don't, don't be limited to just the things we've described. If it touches any of those kind of elements or touches any of those customers, the shippers, the carriers, look, we're super excited. Uh, we're open for business and we're definitely writing checks. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, uh, I'll kind of lean in on that point because sometimes when we speak to other investors or, or folks, they kind of get taken aback that we're not sitting here and writing a thesis on why we want to invest in a single part of the supply chain. And it's because we're ultimately founder driven, right? So our, our advantage is we could very quickly identify if something is a thing or not. But please, founders, like bring us your your crazy ideas because ultimately at the end of the day, we'll follow you and hope to be a great partner to you and on your journey. And equally, if you're international and are abroad, you're completely within scope. John leads the, the efforts there. And for reference, about a third of our capital is deployed abroad versus North America. So with that, John, I, I think that's uh, a wrap. Certainly is. Awesome. See ya. Till next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.